This episode of the Trek Geeks Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash trekgeeks, and you'll find over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any MP3 player. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. to you Trek geeks all across the galaxy you have reached episode 21 of the biggest little show in the alpha quadrant this is the trek geeks podcast i am your co-host bill smith and joining me as he does every episode he's a macro head with a micro brain he's ready to shoot a hole in the view screen he's dan davidson dan growl for me show me you still care <laughs> yes, sir. Hi. Hi. Hi, Hi sir. <laughs> yes. Speaking of brain. Yeah. Box brains out. People are loving it. Feedback on Twitter looks pretty good. Loving it. I'm very excited. Spock's brain is finally out. It was a, we had a great conversation with the guys from Five Year Mission a couple of weeks ago. Um, we hope you all enjoyed your Independence Day holiday, those of you in the United States. Dan and I took the weekend off. Uh, Dan, did you have a great 4th of July? It was very nice. Um, went down, spent uh, spent the weekend with family and had a good time. And as we were talking offline, tried to protect one of my dogs from the fireworks because she's scared to death of fireworks. Um, but other than that, it was uh, nice. Weather was perfect. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. It rained on Saturday for a while. But it was perfect because we were with family. And that's what's important. And... Uh we had a very quiet 4th of July, my wife and I. We, like you, spent a lot of time trying to keep our dog calm during the uh, the fireworks, or at least people in the neighborhood shooting off fireworks. And that was a bit of a challenge, but she came through it pretty well. So, um, All in all, it was a great weekend. We're glad to be back with everybody listening, and we thank everybody so much for downloading. Um, today, we've got a really special conversation. We've had this one um, ready to go for a little while, and between scheduling and and editing it, it we're not getting to to introduce it to you until now so dan why don't you tell us a little bit about today's episode yeah today's a special episode as are all of our episodes but uh, today i had a little bit of a this uh, this interview i should say has a little bit something special um it's not often that you can have someone guest star on one particular series of star trek and 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 have a memorable episode um, it's even more rare to have one on two series or three. Well, today's guest has been on several. 
uh, uh, the series. Um, she was on Voyager. She was on The Next Generation. She played several characters, I should say. And it is Susie Plaxon, who we remember mostly for playing Worf's mate, Kalar, uh, on Star Trek The Next Generation. But she's also played the female Q. She's played an Andorian. Uh, she's played a Vulcan. Uh, and she uh, she ha- is a unique woman, and it was really interesting getting her perspectives of Star Trek and the roles that she's played. I couldn't that, agree that more. about sum it up for you? Yeah, that, that really does. Um, and we you know, want to point out to everybody that after the interview, uh, Susie's making a very gracious special offer to listeners of the Trek Geeks podcast, so be sure to stick around for that. But for now, it's episode 21 with the delightful Susie Plaxon. Well, folks, today's guest has the unique distinction of being seen on several Star Trek series as several different characters. She's an actress, a sculptor, a singer-songwriter, and an author, but will always recall her fondly for her pivotal role as the half-Klingon, half-human ambassador Kalar on Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as other characters that we'll get to shortly. She is, of course, the wonderful Susie Plaxon, and she joins us now on the Trek Geeks podcast. Uh, Susie, thanks so much for being here. Um... You're one of my favorites, and, I, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show, as is Bill. Oh, Dan, that's so kind of you. I'm very, I feel very honored to have been asked and, and, uh, and to have been nominated, and I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, we're thrilled to have you. Um, uh, we've seen you play a, a number of alien races in Star Trek, uh, in addition to The Next Generation. You're one of the few select group of actors who have appeared on several of the Star Trek shows guest starring as the female Q on Voyager and as the Andorian Tara on Enterprise. Uh, From your perspective, did you have a favorite from a storyline perspective? And did you have a favorite from a, hey, this is really cool perspective? Hmm, I wonder if those perspectives cross over. Let's, I believe that the storyline perspective of Kalar obviously has more heft um, although I'll come back to that in a moment, but in terms of that, this is cool. I have to say just because it's more my cup of tea, which can be anything BBC, anything witty and literate. And, and I love playing <laughs> narcissistic characters. I just loved playing the cue. That was my favorite thing. Um, and, uh, not just because I didn't have to sit for hours as many hours in makeup, but I love that sort of repartee i loved playing a bored immortal (laughs) that was a blast uh and i would have loved to come back and do that again i returned to the kalar thing story-wise because i had great occasion to revisit that story um in the past um i'd say i'm so bad at linear time never put me on a witness stand but it could be about a year and a half to two years that i first came up with this idea uh john paladin and i i don't know to what extent people had talked about it because I'd absolutely made them take an oath that they wouldn't talk about it on social media. But John Paladin, you know, does um, uh, makeup at the conventions. Yes. Yes. Yep. And we're good buddies and I love him to bits. And uh, one time we were chatting on the phone and, and, uh, and we came up with an idea of doing, um, which no one had done at the time of doing Kalar or putting Kalar's makeup on live on stage. And, uh, and as he was doing that, I devised a sort of performance art piece 
as he was doing that, uh, I would tell stories about being in makeup and what it was like. And he's a very funny guy. And we go back and forth and kind of this silly little vaudeville thing. And he would somehow miraculously get this makeup and wig, et cetera, on me. And midway through, it was as if we had a uh, sound cue. And it was as if Kalar had inhabited the body of Susie Plaxon without Susie Plaxon's knowledge. Oh, wow. To tell the story of what actually happened. And go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say this was about a year and a half or so ago. Now, this was something that actually you have done or was you just in the discussion phase? No, I've done it. I've oh, done wow. it wow. times. And oh. I think that it's been very successful in my um, – because I made Kalar swear, made make everyone in the audience take an oath that they would not tell the story on social media, and they and what I love it's just one of the great things about about Star Trek people, I, Star Trek fans. I really feel like there is something about all of you that had that there's such an integrity at the heart of Star Trek fans that. Um, that I'm not surprised that nobody ever heard about it. <laughs> right, because I was just going to say, I have this is the first I've heard about it, so that's, well, that's really cool. I will cool. tell you the story, because just in case I do it again, or uh, Johnny and I were, were trying to think of a way to film it, actually, um, what I wanted to do by creating this thing was to... I felt that all the years that I'd sat there and, and I'm, I don't ha- although I'm a massive, massive fan of Star Trek fans, obviously I'm not a sci-fi fan at all. I've watched the show. I watched the show now and again when I was a kid with my brother. Um, but I would mostly hear about the effect, for example, that Kalar's death and the way that it went w- was, uh, was, uh, devised was presented to me over all the years I've, I've come to conventions, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, you know, I want to write this in it, write this story in a way that Uber fans mm-hmm. would, would see it as airtight and that it would, um, give a, give the heroic element back to Kalar that I feel was in some ways taken away um, by the, by the way it went down in that last episode, how she was killed. Mm -hmm. And I would hear that over and over again. I thought I want to do this for the fans. I want to create this. So it was a, it was a kind of an ambush because people thought they were coming to see a makeup demonstration. (laughs) And midway through, I became Kalar and nobody expected some big story to be coming out of me or her or whatever and it was just it was such fun to do i think i probably performed it maybe six or seven times um in different in different conventions in different places and my whole thing was i because i'm a i'm a theater gal from way back i didn't want to blow it and have everybody already know what was going to happen right so it was a joy to see everyone just stunned (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, um, and it was, and it was great fun and and, and very satisfying. Anyway, I didn't mean to to go on so very long about that, but it's the first time I've actually talked about it on any, um, interview. So I wanted to be clear about why I did it. We got a scoop, Bill. I know. You got a scoop, fellas. (laughs) You got it. You heard it here first. (laughs) 
That, that's exactly what I was thinking. Now I can't wait to see it someday. This is going to be awesome. Um, Susie, when we first oh, saw... I, I, I... Go ahead. No, no, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. I was about to say, I have no idea when it's going to happen again um, or if it's going to happen again. And once again, John and I were trying... John's in Michigan. I'm in Los Angeles. And, and um, you know, it takes a certain amount of resources and all of that stuff to even think of filming a thing like this or turning it into a small, a, a, a little film as opposed to something live action that's happening right in front of you. It's right. so that, you know, I, I didn't ever quite crack that egg, but, uh, but it was a delicious, um, a delicious thing to do. Yes. I made the whole audience as Kalar. I made the whole audience swear every time, <laughs> never to speak a word of it. So God bless all those people who oh, shut that's up. So I, awesome. I think that's great. <laughs> the next generation in season one went out of their way to avoid having Vulcans on screen. So when we first saw you as Dr. Salar in seasons two, the schizoid man, it seemed to you know us that maybe this character could stay around a while, or maybe we'd see that character more than we actually did. Was that your thought as well when you were cast as Salar or what, did you always know it was a one shot gig? No, honey, it, <laughs> I'm laughing because I can't tell you how many recurring roles, whether they be in, in sitcoms or whatever, you, you you just go on. You have no idea if something's going to come back, if it's not, if, you know, so the answer sure. is clueless. <laughs> Fair enough. A high hand. <laughs> okay. You know, that's the truth. There's right. absolutely, and also that's presupposing that I would, um, or maybe you're not presupposing, but the, the notion that when you're saying something about, you know, that they did their best to avoid having Vulcans on, I would not be aware of anything like that. So um, all that I, that happened to me, and again, this is a bit of a tale, is um, when I went into audition for Salar, I went into audition to play a doctor. Okay. And I went to audition as just, you know, a human being auditioning to yep. play a doctor. The cool thing about Star Trek is that I went to audition in a room filled with women of all different races. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember of all different ages, but certainly races. So I auditioned, I went home and a couple of days later, my agent calls and says, Oh yeah, by the way, you have to go in such and such time and such and such day to get measured for your ears. <laughs> now even in hollywood this is not something that you generally hear <laughs> and uh i said why of course right and they said you're going to be a vulcan well i immediately turned into a huge 10 year old <laughs> and call my brother my brother was always the sci-fi the tech the comic book guy you know the star trek guy and i said mike mike I'm going to be a Vulcan. <laughs> and we just jumped around and I jumped around and I saved my ears for years for him. And, uh, and we snuck him onto the set at Paramount and, um, uh, it was, it was a great, a great time. I, I have to say, I don't think I was a, a particularly good Vulcan cause I'm so animated. Um, I but, loved uh, your performance as a Vulcan. Susie. Aww, As a matter of fact, one of the things I was going to say, I didn't want to jump in while you were talking is, is in all the characters, even though she was only in one episode, she's the one that has always stuck out for me. Uh, huh. 
I don't know why you have a you have a very specific look and in your striking as as a Vulcan. I must add also, but Solar is always one that I've loved. But, but they it help they help you look good as a Vulcan because. <laughs> Well, no, it's uh, and this is such a petty and ridiculous thing. Feel free to edit it out later. There is something about what they do with the eyebrows, particularly mm-hmm. on a woman, that make you look better. Just saying. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, we saw you as Doctor Salar, and and then later we saw you come on as Kalar. But before you appeared as Kalar, did you have any sense of the scope of Klingon lore in Star Trek? Uh, and did the producers tell you much about it beforehand? No, not a thing. Um, And again, I had watched, or maybe I didn't actually speak this, that I had watched now and again with my brother as a kid. Uh, Maybe I remembered a ridged forehead here or there, but not much. And um, I think, no, I didn't really know very much at all. And uh, I mean, I knew I was a half Klingon. Um, I don't think that I did anything but just get the audition together and go in. The only thing, and this just shows you what perspective I come from, I'm almost always seeing something comic or heightening something that's comic because that comedy and music are my main muses. And I do remember doing that audition and thinking that me saying, sorry, I had to make myself look beautiful was (laughs) hilariously funny (laughs) and I expected a big laugh from the room because I've got ridges in my forehead and that surely has to be a funny line (laughs) but total stoicism and uh um but they were you know but so no I didn't know anything I didn't know anything about that I was going to have to do this big fight scene I didn't know any of it just you know you show up for work they throw it all at you yeah Okay. <laughs> that's that's great perspective because, you know, from our perspective as fans, you know, Dan and I have talked about this before. You really owned every scene you were in, and it seemed like the chemistry between you and, and Michael Dorn in particular was just electric. Had you ever known or worked with Michael previous to Next Gen? No, I hadn't. And, uh, and you know, I have great affection for Michael, and uh, we just ran into each other on a train. Uh, literally on a, on a pl- train platform, I looked over and there he was, and it was out of the blue. We just had this marvelous visit on this train. Um, and so after all these years, there's still such great affection between us. Um, so no, I had not worked with him before. Um, there was something you said at the beginning of that about the, you know, about the, it's very kind of you to say about owning every scene that I was in, but you see, I feel that, you know, it's the old expression, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. Right. And you just, if you don't have the, if you don't have the, 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 um, the heft of story or script or actual verbiage or focus of the camera or whatever it is, you know, you can't own anything. They, they, they dress that around that character because that character was supposed to be that important. So I think anybody who would have showed up in those shoes would have, you know, owned it, so to speak. Truly, I do. Okay. I love that's one of the things I love when we're talking to folks on the podcast is is getting this unique perspective that we never would have we never would have thought. It's it's really it's really great to hear something like that. Um well, but you well, did you did own them. <laughs> sorry, sorry, what? You did own them. <laughs> they were great. Well, the truth is too and this is not to 
to dissolve any notion of there having been a real chemistry between Michael and I. I definitely think there was. But the truth is that chemistry, you might have chemistry with someone in real life and it doesn't translate to the screen because the acting is such that it doesn't, it just doesn't jump through the screen. Right. Chemistry is something that can also be created. Um, and it comes from the oddest things. And I think a lot of the time it's people's projections. Well, and, and I'm only saying this in response to your saying, sometimes we hear these different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'm not saying there wasn't chemistry between us. Um, I'm just saying that sometimes that sort of thing can be, um, uh, well, that's why they call it acting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Susie, um, as you know, with Star Trek, there, there are just hundreds and hundreds of episodes and hundreds and hundreds of guest stars have been on. Um, and guest appearances uh, on the show seldom have had the impact that yours did as Kalar on TNG. Um, her character helped shape Worf's destiny as a Klingon warrior, a Starfleet officer, uh, and a father, but yet – Unfortunately, you were only in two episodes. Um, why do we as fans love Kalar so much? And what do you attribute that special connection that you have with us after all these years? They created a hero and they martyred her way too soon. That's ag- agreed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's nothing like affection for someone um, um, potent, as it were, who dies too young fictional or otherwise. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's the combination of the two. One is that, um, when she shows up, she's so independent, powerful, ass kicking, brilliant, fearless. And, and I, one of the reasons that I, I am not someone who takes a great shine to, um, sci-fi, is because um, I don't I don't find many feminine characters or female characters that I don't think are ser- in service of the male characters on mm-hmm. some level. Right, and that's ultimately what they did with Kalar. Uh, I remember um, <laughs> Ron would would be okay with me saying this. Ron Moore and I, some years after, were on set, uh, or I met him on the Paramount lot. I don't know. We were walking around and laughing. I said, "Hey, yeah, but why? By the way." Why did they kill Kalar? He said, well, you know, the way I remember it is somebody said, let's bring back Kalar. And somebody else said, okay, what do we do with her? And somebody else said, well, I don't know, let's kill her. <laughs> <Yes>. Wow. <laughs> and that, folks, is showbiz. Wow. You know, it, it was not well thought out. It, it, again, this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ron, it's not like it's it's done any harm to his career. Sure. Um, but – it's, it's, uh, and again, I, I know he, that he would laugh. Um, but in terms of when you say the lasting impression, they bring this character of such heroic, um, possibility and kill her in a way that is, you know, martyred. So they ambush her and you don't see anything, but, uh, then you see dead mother. Right. Um, right. And, you know, when I was studying this, these two episodes in order to, and worked with um, a a brilliant fan who's a friend of mine uh, named Karen White, and she's just brilliant. And um, because I wanted to check the story, I wanted to make sure that the story was something 
real true Uber fans would go, oh yeah, that's right. So as I was writing it and studying it and I looked at it and I looked at Reunion and I thought in, in some ways, very specifically sold that character out. And I didn't have any attachment to it. You have to understand when I was doing it, I didn't come back and go, Oh, uh, I didn't really think that way. Right. Um, I was just like, Oh, I get to come back. Oh, I'm found dead. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. I thought, Oh, I give, I come back. I get to die. Cool. Uh, oh, I'm just like dead. Oh. <laughs> That's silly. And I used to think when people would say to me over the years, at conventions and people would write and people would say stuff. I thought, God, this really has upset people. And it's really touched them in some very deep ways. Yep. And when I went back, cause I only watched, I think the first one once when it came out, I'm not someone who likes to watch myself on screen and, uh, and it's fine. But again, watching these two in, in, in to really study them in order to create this other story. Uh, I, I thought, and, and people would ask me as well, over the years, what would you like to have happened? I said, I would have liked there to have been a trilogy. Killer, if you must, mm -hmm. but follow that arc through the way you would have done if that character were male. And something about it, uh, the way she behaves, the decisions she makes, but, but again, it gave me juice for my story. Uh, and it gave me juice for the things I wanted to say. So... Uh, it was fascinating, but that, that's just, again, that's just, you know, everything is so subjective. Uh, and that's just my opinion as somebody who's looking at something dramatically, you know, I can be quite, uh, persnickety when it comes to looking at roles for women and what they do with them. Susie, looking at Voyagers, the Q and the gray, you of course appeared as the, the witty and very acerbic female Q. Um, yes. The episode had a lot of comedic elements with it uh, from the dialogue between you and John Delancey and Kate Mulgrew, as well as some very dramatic points, such as the civil war within the continuum after uh, Quinn's suicide. Um, you've said the female Q is one of your favorite characters. What is it that makes her special to you? Well, I am a I'm a fan of Noel Coward and, uh, you know, Kaufman and Hart. And I love literate banter of any kind, especially, and I just, there's something about playing a bored narcissist that just <laughs> uh, thrills me. And, um, uh, I just love that. So, uh, the, there were, that was the, the part of it that, that appealed to me the most. Uh, and then there were just minor things like I didn't have to sit for, you know, six hours in makeup, only two, um, I wore sneakers under my dress during the battlefield scene so I could run around. Um, it was out. It was filmed outside, which under trees, which made me enormously happy as opposed to being filmed in the ship where they keep filled with fake, which they used to keep filled with the sort of fake smoke. So mm -hmm. I, I, you know, those were lesser things, but um, that was the greater. I just, I, I just like that kind of, um, I like that kind of arch character. Yeah. The um the dialogue that you had in that episode is is just great. It's so funny. My favorite line probably of the entire seven seasons of Voyager is one of your first ones. The way you say, "What are you doing with that dog?" It, and then the look on John's face when you when you say you're not talking about the puppy, perfection. <laughs> and it's always one that has standed out to me. It was it was awesome. 
Well, I thank you so much for that. And again, I didn't write it. I just showed up and said it. <laughs> but the truth is, I always tell the story when I hear that. And I often hear that. And the reason I tell the story is because uh, it's, serve, it, it's just to let you know what really goes on behind the scenes. When I was delivering both of those lines, particularly the second one, everybody fell down. Everybody loved it. But the director called me over and he said, and this was said in a sort of um, disparaging way. He said, you know, when you do that, you sound just like Betty Davis. Like it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, <know>? I know. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was like, oh. Now, one of the things that you have to do in Hollywood a lot, unless you're a regular, you have some kind of power, particularly if you're a guest star, you have to just survive, you know, yeah. and hope that your performance survives too and your dignity does. Right. I knew those lines were so terrific, not, you know, that I was gifted with these lines and I knew I could sling the delivery and all I had to do was try to protect it from the, forgive me, ignorance of the director who didn't see mm -hmm. that it was working exactly the way it was supposed to. So I just kind of pretended I didn't really understand what he said. And um, I knew they only had so much time and they were going to, you know, take the best take. So that was that. <laughs> but it, 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 you almost didn't see it that way. But I'm I'm sure glad you did. And it always makes me feel so happy when oh, people say that. I'm thinking, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, were there ever any discussions uh, of you appearing on Deep Space Nine as either a previous no. character or a new no. one? No, never. I That's... mean, not that I, no, no, never. Nobody ever called about Deep Space Nine. I would have loved to have seen Solar. I have had those discussions with fans who are like, yes, you were on Deep Space Nine. No, I wasn't. <laughs> on Deep Space Nine. Yes, you were. I saw you was this and you were this and you were this. No, no, I really, I was never on Deep Space Nine. Are you sure? Positive. Never getting, and never was there. Never was there. I know I saw you. I it wasn't me. I promise. <laughs> it's so funny when people do that. Oh, Helvin, I'm pretty sure I was on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, Susie, Dan, and I loved the uh, the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas, and and you were there yeah. as the uh, the closing keynote speaker back in September of '08. Um, what I kind of experience was that for you? Wow. I was so moved and so honored and so surprised that I would be asked to do such a great, such a great honor. Um, and the way that it happened was I would, I was first invited to come down and sell uh, photos and stuff at a table there. And then I got along so well with the folks who worked there and, you know, um, the gentleman who was manager of operations and he was such a great and brilliant guy uh, who worked there, um, Chad Boutte. And he asked the cast of the people who worked there and all the people who worked there. That's the most important thing about that for me. See, they were all losing their jobs. Right. Right. And they all loved their jobs. And they all loved coming to work there. So he wanted them, Chad, to create something that would give them the dignity and the joy and, um, and the, 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 the honor due to all of them for having, you know, really loved this place and made it come to life. I was sent, uh, uh, apparently other, there were other people who had wanted to do this. Uh, 
but apparently, I, 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 I think it would be self-aggrandizing to say, you know, they voted for me or whatever, but I, I, I was asked to. And I, to this day, just find it to be so, such a, such a, such a deeply moving, moving thing to do. And I was given the script and I was Ambassador Plaxon, I believe, from the future. Right. And really what happened was, you know, that was a script that they prepared and I was just an actor in their in their play, essentially. And uh, it was one of those things that, first off, I, I don't think I was as emotionally prepared as I might have been because they one of the beautiful things they did, and, and you've seen this so you know, but to be able to announce these names of everybody who worked there from the person who, you know, was the bartender to the person who played the Klingon to the person who was the dishwasher and have them walk down a red carpet Mm -hmm. and have this audience that had come from world over to see this film and, and, and applaud them. It was just gorgeous. And I thought, isn't this a shame that when people get pink slips everywhere, there isn't some kind of, ceremony honoring the kind of work that people do in this way. So that to me was in and of itself, just something very um, dignifying and, and, and uh, again, very honoring to be able to be part of. And then the, um, there was a moment where they lower, I don't know if it's on film. I, I've, I've only watched bits of it. I I can't stand seeing myself on, on film, but, there were there was a moment where you see the gold lamé curtain lowered. Yes. Okay, I, I don't know how much, and I'm not sure that you can actually see this, but somehow or another, it's funny. I almost get choked up when I think about it. When the whole thing was over, and that curtain began to slowly, slowly, slowly fall, and I remember Chad specifically giving directions that it fall very, very slowly. Somehow or another, people on both sides of that curtain spontaneously put up the live long and prosper sign. Oh, wow. And it was completely silent. Suddenly, it became completely silent with the exception of there being a sob here or there. And then the curtain fell and then, you know, everybody began to hug and whatever. But I, I was so stunned by how nobody said live long and prosper. Nobody said there was nothing like that. It just mm-hmm. both crowds held up that salute and, and, and the whole place fell silent. And, and when I say the whole place in a Vegas setting, that means hugeness. Right. Of course. So yes, it was moving and poetic and an honor in the extreme. Wow, it really is a shame that it that it's gone. Um, I only had the privilege of going once. I know that Bill had been a few times, and I, even though it was a, a sad occasion, I would have loved to have been at that closing ceremony to to watch oh, you and course. everybody else there. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the best part about that place is that you know everybody you saw and met there, whether they were you know employees, cast members, people who work in the kitchen tourists they were all your friends because there was all this thing that bound us all together and i think Mm -hmm. that there was no better or more fitting tribute that we could have paid the people who worked there so hard um so you know from my perspective as a fan thank you so much for being a part of that 
Oh, that's so kind of you. Again, I, I, I wouldn't have said anything, but yes. And I was just, uh, I was just felt very blessed that I was asked to do it. Susie, you've, um, you've been a longtime fan favorite at conventions. Um, oh. and as you just let us know, you, you have this Klingon makeup, uh, performance that you've done in the past, which was quite a scoop. Um, are you going to be at Vegas this year? I have not been invited to Vegas, so I will not be in Vegas, actually. No. That's oh, not bummer. right. <laughs> that is you a know, bummer. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it, it's, it is what it is. I mean, they've got so many people. Right. Um, no. Uh, I'm good with it. You know, I've been there so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just fine. I think I'm supposed to be there the year after. Who knows? I will, be, I will say it is kind of a downer to hear that. It's unfortunate because um, for the last several podcasts, Bill has been just killing me because I was not going to Vegas this year. And I surprised <laughs> him just this past weekend by telling him that I am, in fact, going to go. And I, it would have been quite an honor and privilege to meet you. So hopefully oh, wow. at a future one. Uh, we'll be able to run into each other. <laughs> oh, of course we will. Well, we'll uh, we'll raise a glass of uh, of Klingon blood wine at the fiftieth next year. Okay. <laughs> well, then you're going to have to. Isn't there a Q wine and isn't there an Andorian wine and a Vulcan wine? No, huh? We, oh, well, we can make them. Yeah. Well, I am not <laughs> above I think having multiple like rounds. Vineyard waiting to happen. <laughs> you know, um, Susie, you had a recurring role over the nine seasons of How I Met Your Mother as Marshall's mom, Judy. It was a uh, yes. it was a hilarious role, and I was always excited to see you turn up in an episode. Um, it's a uh, of course the series ended last year. Were you happy with where Judy wound up? Well, you know, <laughs> yes, because to me it was a sweet, easy, fun, delicious little gig. I love the character, so I didn't. Uh, I think you learn, or let, let me just apply it to myself. I learned as someone who's a recurring character, no matter what I do, you can't get attached to any future, any depth, any anything, because they'll cut your stuff faster. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they've got to make the, the A story work. Um, that being said, sure, fine. Um, there was, but I need to just say one thing, because it, it, it uh, or tell one little story, just because it would have been such fun. Somewhere... Uh, I think it was the, there was an episode where Judy was at the computer and Marshall's trying to talk her through how to use the computer. Yeah. And it became apparent that Judy was a, was a, was a really big nutball. Um, (laughs) She was going on about how the JFK, JFK, uh, that the, 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 I know what it was, that the moon landing was a hoax invented by JFK. (laughs) <laughs> and I was thrilled. I was like, oh, my God, either she's hitting the sherry or she's gotten the Prozac mixed up with the something. Oh, my God, they're going to make Judy a Looney Tune. <laughs> I'm thrilled. It was some little monologue about the, the moon land. I was just in heaven. And I went up to the writers at some point and said, thank you. For making her insane and he said of course it's always been evident <laughs> well that's show business because something happened where marshall's scene or something the show was long blah da 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 gone never to never to be oh. resurrected um but you know that being said um it's it's a high class problem it was it was a lovely a, a fun little gig and yeah i love um I love transforming like that. That's why I got into this crazy, wacky business to begin with. <laughs> um, 
turning uh, away from from the acting aspect for a moment, Susie, uh, mm-hmm. within the last couple of years, you've written a book called The Return of King Lillian, which yes. is described as a mythic journey for dreamers of all ages. Um, it's about a firstborn child of an emperor king uh, who was at one point cast out of her kingdom. And this tale is of her journey to reclaim, reclaim her birthright. Um, she meets a lot of amazing cast of characters along the way. And uh, the que- my question to you is, uh, what inspired you for this book? And uh, how long have you or had you had this story uh, in your head before you decided to write it? Well, what inspired me? Um, as a kid, I, and, and even as a, an, an adult, I have always been profoundly drawn to myth and uh, fairy tale and folk tale. And I adored the sword and the stone, the wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland. Those, those were always um, deeply imprinted on my psyche. And I have had the story, let us say the seed of the story in my head for about 30 years. Oh, wow. I, yes. Uh, and I kept wishing that the muse would, call on someone else because I didn't think I had the chops to write it. And for a long time, I didn't. Um, I had a dream somewhere in my 20s. And I saw Lillian from the back with a musketeer, purple musketeer hat and a, and a, and a glorious uh, red velvet cape on horseback riding up, riding up a hill in this amazingly vivid world, it was just a flash of a dream and it just stuck with me. About a year later, I had another dream from that same world. Uh, Maybe a couple of years later, I had another dream and it just took deeper and deeper hold inside my subconscious and began to be undeniable. And the more I, it was almost like, excavating i mean the more i i kind of brushed away these uh, at these ideas i i kept finding more and more story more and more characters that seemed to have been there all along and i was just i'm not you know i, I consider myself a multimedia artist i don't consider myself a writer if i'm a writer i'm a writer because i have to be because no one else will do it mm-hmm. um and uh that includes whether i'm writing a song or whether i'm writing a poem or whether i'm writing a, a story whatever but and it just took hold of me. I tried to write it so many different times. And um, and then I would do whatever I could. And then I would realize it was, it was bad or it was wrong or it wasn't complete or I didn't have enough, uh, as I say, chops to do it. And then I'd leave it for a few years, come back to it and realize that in my absence, it would have taken deeper roots and, mm-hmm. and grown more somehow. And it just lined up the stars aligned in life and whatever. And when I actually sat down to write it and really understood it's the how of the writing of it that made it happen. Um, Once I understood that it needed to be in diary form, there is a narrative wraparound that is uh, in the prologue and in book three, but the, um, the, uh, the, I I was going to say the heart, but let's say the body of it is Lillian's uh, diary. Mm-hmm. And once I understood that, it was like, ding, I know how to do it. Interesting. Yeah. I um I do want to read a couple of uh comments that people have left on on your webpage for the book, which is kinglillian.com. Um Wonderful. just to Thanks. give an idea of uh of 
of what people think of it. Um, one writer said that King Lillian's journey is a tale for the ages. Um, wow. Another person says, what an incredible journey the return of King Lillian brings us on as a book and in its colorful, magical audio version. Susie Plaxon has brought us not only a fun adventure, but also a myth for today, which goes exactly to what you were saying a few minutes ago about your love for mythology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, oh, that's, that's, that's those are sweet comments. Yeah, those are, as I was reading them over, I was amazed at how much love was being poured into these comments, and what a what a great story uh, people are thinking this is. Well, thank you so much. And like anything, it is subjective. There are people who will, will who who it's really interesting, and I particularly find it's true with the audiobook when people, and I don't want to say I, I I don't I don't like to use the word get it, but when they resonate with it. They really, really resonate. And a lot of people don't, but a lot of people do. And um, I've found it really amazing when um, that the story, particularly amazing and particularly gratifying, that the story of this young woman as she grows and goes and travels and matures and um, that, that men, full-grown men, uh, were really and have been really, really taken by her. And, and, and that to me says it it was just so gratifying to hear and surprising and thrilling. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it, to me, it, it, it's almost like I couldn't have died without having birthed King Lillian. Sure, Sure. I know that sounds very extreme, but I couldn't have you know, if I were hit by lightning tomorrow, at least I at least I say, okay, at least I've done King Lillian. Yeah. One of the things that I was going to bring up, it's going to sound kind of funny when I say it, is <clears throat> the unfortunate part about our discussion today is by the time that it's out there for the listeners to hear, it will be past your birthday. And we understand ah. that you were doing something special on your birthday in regards to the return of King Lillian, oh, yeah. even though it will have already happened. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Because there may be some listeners that will have benefited from what you're about to tell us. Or, you know what? How about we make this deal with the listeners who hear this? There's a hundred, I'm giving away a hundred free audiobooks for my birthday, which is 6 3 15, June 3rd. And uh, all they have to do is write to info at suzyplaxon.com. Or go to my website, www.suzyplaxon.com, and uh, click on um, contact and ask for a free audiobook, and you'll get one. And wow. the truth is, even if they hear this after the fact, just tell them to reference that they've heard this show. Okay. And uh, and they'll get one. That is that. that is awesome. And, and, and for all the listeners that – can't say it possibly when we can't thank you so much. I think that's that's extremely generous. And I may uh, build. Uh, you might want to. You might want to keep this one under your hat. But I might even fill out a form. <laughs> what do you mean fill out a form on your website to get a copy of King Lillian? Oh, you don't have to fill out a form. All you do is just all, all you do is write to, you know, um, yeah, and uh, uh, write to info at suzyplaxon.com and uh, and we'll make sure you get one on the third of June. Well, we appreciate it. I'm sure that there will be several uh, guests or excuse me, several listeners that will be uh, uh, interested in uh, in that. And thank you for, for that opportunity for our listeners to do that. From what I understand, Susie, you perform all the characters in the audiobook. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And it was one of the, no, I would 
tend to say the most deliciously satisfying, <laughs> challenging Deal. acting experience of my life. But I think you got a good quote. Oh, that'll work. That'll work perfectly. <laughs> I think it's, so too. It'll, it's it's interesting to to get someone who does that, who has different characters that they're able to play. And from a from a standpoint of doing an audio novel, is it hard to when you're reading to know that you're going to switch into this character and then you have to switch into that character? And is it hard to keep all of that in your head when you're doing it? Well, it's challenging, but the lucky thing is, and you know, you're you're not actually just sitting there and 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 flipping characters all the time. I mean, truly, because you're in a booth, um, it takes a great deal of preparation mm-hmm. before you go into the booth. Yep. There's an enormous, I, I rehearsed a lot. And once we would get into the booth, sometimes we'd be listening and say, you know, that character, if we listened back, and when you're actually recording and you're listening to playback, there are times, plenty of times, where we, and I say we as uh, my producer, uh, Kristen Overn, who would listen, and we would both listen, and we'd say, and the, as well as the engineer, and we'd say, you know, that character isn't working. Um, and if uh, I might go home and find a different character, uh, a different read, a different something, mm-hmm. and and punch it back in later. So... Um, it, it, it's, 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 it's art. So it's supposed to look like it's completely and sound like it's completely effortless, but there is an enormous amount of, um, alacrity required and concentration and selection required, but I adore the audio process. I love it. I find it to be so magical in a booth and I always have. Um, there's something about it. And it's really funny because I always wanted to read fairy tales in a booth, but I've never been hired to do it. And I think it's really fun that the very first time I've gotten to do it is to read my own. Right. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening it, listening to it. Thank, um, you. Thank you so much. In addition to that, just a, a, a wide open question is what else are you working on these days? Well, just recently I've begun to return and it's, it's just been a synchronicitous thing that I've had a couple of offers to speak about creativity to two writers groups, um, to do something that, uh, I invented with them, uh, to oil. It, it was invented to sort of oil one's way through writer's block called the right brain game. And, um, I'm, and, and thereby I'm, and I hate this term. I still have not come up with a term I like better, but let's call it creativity coaching mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, uh, creativity counseling. But there are people, it's just, it just so happened that, that it's begun to, um, emerge. I did it for a little while, but I would find too often that, uh, parents want their children to be actors, and that's not so much the creativity thing. <laughs> I'm interested. If people, for example, uh, one gentleman I'm working with uh, wants me to read a chapter from his book. You know, some people want feedback. Some people want, uh, you know, we're saying I'm I'm stuck. I um, I feel like I want to do something creatively. I don't know what. So I've just begun to do that again in a private session way. Um, and like I said, maybe do this. Uh, I'll be doing this right brain game with a private writer's group. So um, that seems to kind of be beckoning at the moment. 
That's pretty and awesome. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I like it, and I and I'm and I think because I've dipped into so many different mediums that and 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 really gone through some rigorous mm-hmm. uh, discipline within it as I'm doing it, not in between. <laughs> but I have a lot of experience from which to draw in terms of what it takes to wrestle with your demons in those, in those situations. So that's, um, that's something I look forward to because I, I think that creativity is a great healing force mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and does a life good no matter what. All right, folks, you've seen her as Kalar, you've seen her as the female Q, you've seen her as Tara the Andorian, and you have seen her as the Vulcan Dr. Salar, but she is always the one and only Susie Plaxon. Susie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. As a fan, this is one of my super uber fan moments to have you on the show, so I really want to thank you. Oh, thank you, guys. I'm so moved and so honored and uh, really just so touched. Thank you so much. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to listeners of the Trek Geeks podcast so you can check out their service. You can select your free audiobook from over 150,000 titles in Audible's library. And if you're interested in Star Trek titles, you might even check out one of these currently available on audible.com. Imzadi, Spectre, The Return, Sarek, and my favorite, The Eugenics Wars, The Rise and Fall of Khan Noonien Singh. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash trekgeeks. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekgeeks for your free audiobook. And we would like to thank audible.com for sponsoring our episode. And we really can't thank Susie Plaxon enough. I have to tell you, Dan, she was a real trooper. You wouldn't know it, but Susie had a terrible cough. Uh, through the interview that we, you know, had to pause a couple of times for, we felt so bad. But she, she was a trooper. She wanted to carry through the interview and and uh, and help us out. And um, I, it was such a joy to talk to her. It was. Um, we we heard the attacks as they were coming on, and and it was like, oh man, she she wanted to do it. She said she she was having a bad cough, but she still wanted to to go through with the interview. And I really am glad she did. We had a blast with her. It was really great to talk to her. One, like I said in the interview, one of my personal favorites and kind of a fan moment for me to have her on the show. Um, can't thank her enough. She was great. I'm only. I'm supp- really bummed. I'm really bummed that we're not going to see her in Vegas. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm only surprised you didn't drop a giggity. <laughs> Giggity. <laughs> I don't know would she I, I don't know if she would have liked that or not. <laughs> you were in the midst of a total fanboy meltdown. It was amazing. Yeah. So Dan, back on around June third, which is Susie's birthday, she was doing a giveaway of her audiobook of The Return of King Lillian, in which she plays all the parts. Um as we mentioned at the top of the program, um she's graciously extending a download opportunity to our listeners. And why don't you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, she is allowing anyone who emails her web website at info at or emails her her website. No, that doesn't make any sense. If you email her at info at com and reference the Trek Geeks podcast and that you listen to her interview, you can request to get a free digital download of The Return of King Lillian. And the cool thing about this is that she was doing a giveaway on her website for one day. She's allowing anyone who references – um, the Trek Geeks podcast, anytime from July 11th, which is when this is going to be dropping, all the way to August 31st. So she's given us almost two months 
that our listeners can send her an email and she'll be happy to uh, send out a digital download of her book, which is it's pretty cool. I got I I do have a copy of it. I've started. I'm very. I'm only a few pages in, but um, I think it's going to be pretty exciting to read. the The response from from readers has been pretty good. It's not a Tolkien esque epic fantasy. It's more of a mythic allegory, so to speak. Um, it's got elves and fairies and stuff in it, but I think it'll be enjoyable for a lot of people. I think it'll be really entertaining, especially knowing how great an actress Susie is. I can imagine that those talents are going to transfer to her reading this book, especially since she wrote it. Um, she knows these characters backward and forward. Like you said, it's it's more of a you know a, a mythic fantasy of sorts. It's it's lighter. It's whimsical. Um, so if you're expecting Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, that's not what this is. <laughs> no, no. Um, I was um, um, emailing her today, and she hinted uh, of a part two. So uh, people can look forward to that as well. Yeah, someday. But uh, we'll definitely have all the information for um, for getting a copy of the download on the Trek Geeks website. If you go into the episode 21 post, it'll be there for you. Um, but Dan, why don't we tell the folks at home how they might also get in touch with us? Yes, one other thing before we get in touch with us, um, we also want to let people know that you can also follow Susie. She has a Facebook page, uh, and her uh, Facebook address is Official Susie Plaxon. Um, so if you want to uh, uh, follow her, you can do that there. But if you want to reach us or get in touch with us, as always, we have several different ways of doing that. Uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, as a motorcycle drives right by my window, as I'm sure you can hear that very well. Uh, our handle is <laughs> Trek Geeks. Uh, you can send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com or you can give us a call at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail. If you want to send Bill a tweet, his handle is at trekgeekbill. And if you want to send something to me, please feel free to do so. My handle is at dcdds9. And just please remember that any comments or messages you leave will be used in a future episode. Back to you, Bill. Thank you, Dan. I just wanted to know, how'd you get Shatner to ride by your house on his prototype motorcycle? That's amazing. <laughs> I work in mysterious ways. I was trying to flag him down to stop, and he just kind of flipped me off. That's okay. <laughs> just like the rest of us do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, once again, um, please be sure to go to the Trek Geeks website, get the info for uh, Susie Plaxon's uh, King Lillian audiobook. Um, we hope you all enjoy it. And that'll do it for us for now. This has been episode 21 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We're going to return next week with uh, a really interesting episode. We're going to talk about some games. And Dan, we have some special guests next week, don't we? We do have some special guests. We're going to leave it a little bit of a secret. Um, but uh, there is a game that we have been waiting for to come out. Um, it was um, announced, I guess you could say, last year at the... Uh, uh, Vegas convention, and it is Star Trek Timelines, and we're going to have a couple of the designers of the of the game on our show uh, right down the street from Boston. They're going to be joining us. And Dan and I are also going to talk about our some of our favorite and not-so-favorite video games as part of that episode, too. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, there are a lot of them. <laughs> there are, but we can talk about that next week. And so until then, everyone, please live long and prosper. And drink that coconut coffee! Coconut. 
31 days, brother. I can't wait. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you ready I'm going to give this? it a week to see oh. if uh, the Cardassian brothers want to uh, do a group photo. The Cardassian? They're not brothers. Well, I was, that was kind of a joke on the Kardashian sisters, but it that, didn't go over too well. That was one of the worst jokes ever. In the history oh. of jokes, that was one of the unjokiest jokes of all time. Did you see the picture that somebody posted on Facebook today about cosplaying as a Kardashian and was holding a spoon up to his forehead? No. <laughs> it was good, but somebody called him a racist. On the, in the comment section. <laughs> really? Now we can't be racist against fictional aliens. I, I I got nothing. Nah. You can't. You can't argue with these people. All these spoonhead loving freaks? <laughs> spoon, Is that who you spoon meant? Head, spoonhead loving. <laughs> Wasn't there a cat food called Lovin' Spoonfuls or something like that? Uh, there was, was that a, a song? There was a band called The Love and Spoonful. There you go. Then maybe they're all Cardassians. Which had, uh, if memory serves, John Sebastian, who did the Welcome Back Cotter theme. Oh, we sang that. We were typing that to each other the other day. We were. Welcome back. Dreams were your ticket out. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the cat jumping off the roof. I... The hot tin roof. It was the cat jumping off the roof wanting to kill itself for having to listen to that rendition of Welcome Back. Hey, it's not as good as my Al Green impersonation the other day on Instant Messenger. (laughs) (laughs) That was bad. That that really was bad. (laughs) You almost sounded like Barry Gibb there. (laughs) I know. I thought that too, listening to it. Oh, that's fun stuff. Hey, nobody gets too much heaven no more. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Very you're, nice. You're welcome. It's oh. a gift. It's a gift. This it, is what I do. Is. You know what? You know what your gift is. Oh boy, just you, just uh, you, man. What do you want? What do you need? I don't need anything. You need a place to stay in Vegas. So, ah, that's already taken care of. Um, so you're staying somewhere else? <laughs> Did you make reservations yet? By the way, for me. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. Hoo-ah, home of the brave. Ah, that's good melon head. It is a wonderful little beer. It is. It's one of my favorites. Because uh, I'm not a beer drinker, but yeah. I could drink those all night long. They're, they're all night long. All night. All night. All night. Yes. Their pumpkin head in the fall is really good, too. Yep, it is. It is. They have another one that I think I've tried that I like. Gingerbread I, I, head. Yes, that's the one. That's very good. Because I can't have regular flavored things. <laughs> I believe me, I know. Coconut. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife, you know, she saw the thread on Facebook where uh, you were talking, or somebody, or I think it was Chris Mumphrey mentioned coconut coffee. And she's like, yes. coconut coffee. Ugh. I said, no, honey, it's Chris is letting us know he got to that episode of the podcast. She goes. You know, I'm paraphrasing now. How does coconut coffee fit into Star Trek? And then I had to play for her the end of the Las Vegas for Noobs episode. Yep. And she looked at me like, you two are crazy. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. We are. And that's why it's a good podcast. It's a fun podcast. And anyone else who thinks we're trying to copy other podcasts can stick it up their butt. Oh. Whoa. Hey. (laughs) But in a good way. But in a good way. 
Way to it's a hot podcast for Christmas. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Heidi ho. Hi ho, neighbor. It's the Muppet Show with our... <laughs> <laughs> Drink. Are right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Indeed. <clears throat>